Wake up, America, before it's too late. The Steve Day Show. Greetings. Happy Wednesday. Welcome to the Steve Day Show here live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. I am Steve Dace. He's Todd Erzin. He's Aaron McIntyre, of course. You are you. We have a jam-packed show lined up for you today. Let's begin, as we always do, with Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by the key to fighting inflation, killing babies. A bar in Portland, Oregon is set to feature a drag performance from a child this weekend. The child was allegedly mentored by another so-called drag queen who was recently arrested for child sex abuse offenses. Antifa is reportedly organizing security for the event. Tweet from the LGBT Foundation. Happy International Pronoun Day to you, whether you use zee, zem, she, her, they, dem, he, him, they, them, they, fair pronouns or any others. This is just a short list of some example pronouns people may use. You'll never know someone's pronouns until you ask. And finally this. This went down recently at a Denton, Texas City Council meeting. Next is Alex... My name is Alex Stranger. Stranger, there you go. Uh, yeah, I live um, 8001 uh, South I-35 in uh, Austin, Texas. Um, zip code 78744. Listen, uh, I'm a recovering fentanyl addict, okay? Um, you know, I've been arrested multiple times in Austin, in Dallas, in Chicago, and I was always let back on the street within hours, okay? With literally no avenues for help, okay? Like, I hit rock bottom when I was performing fellatio on college students for whippets, for crack, for methamphetamine, and for fentanyl, okay? And when I was arrested in the Chipotle bathroom by the manager, Gary, for getting a train ran on me next to the stall by three Oriental taxicans who, by the way, they were not doing my taxes, Mayor, okay? They were definitely doing some trigonometry, if you know what I'm saying, but they were not doing my taxes. And although all of us were using heavily, they were able to convince the cops that it was just me. My b-hole, it hurt so much that I could not argue with the police, okay? It was more damaged than the Capitol on January 6th. Anyway, I'm so thankful for the Denton Police Department for setting me straight and helping me find treatment to get my life back on track so that I no longer live on my knees at some truck stop of grown men like a vacuum cleaner that a hotel maid would use. And I know that sounds random, okay? But they are the best at vacuuming, except for the bedbug-infested motels where I would inject fentanyl and live-stream gay porn. But I'm clean now. And yes, I still do gay porn, but I do it for art instead of for crap, okay, Mayor? And listen, I'm here asking you for a job recommendation to teach elementary school students in Denton ISD, okay? And there'd be no better person to recommend me to this job than the mayor of Denton himself. You know, I used to read stories to the kids all the time as a drag queen when I was using fentanyl and performing fellatio for money, okay? But that had to stop because my HIV got too debilitating that I could no longer work anymore. Luckily, my AIDS symptoms are practically gone ever since I got vaccinated for monkeypox and COVID-19. And I want to say that Dr. Fauci, you're a hero, and everybody would be a lot healthier if they followed science just like me. I really look forward to teaching kindergarten in the Denton Independent School District. Thank you for your recommendation, Mayor and Council. Thank you. 
Um, and the that concludes our speakers, open mic speakers. That takes us to our consent agenda. I will... Um, and that's what happened while we were away. In the bathroom at Chipotle with the manager, Gary. <laughs> and I know that sounds random. But I'm clean now. I still do gay porn. But it's for art. It's not for my habit. That. Here's the thing. As freaking hilarious as that was, and as over the top as that was. It's not over the top. It, it, is, it is a literal. Yeah. It is literally what a not insignificant group in this country, politically, is advocating. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not. It, 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 it is, is over the top as it sounds to those of you that, you know, are not literal hell spawn. Um, that is a growing characterization and narrative being promoted in this country right now. Verbatim. None of that is an exaggeration. None of it is. None of it. It should be. It should be. But a growing, a growing segment of this society is advocating for that. And they all work in newsrooms in Silicon Valley. And teach in your schools, which is the yes. point he really is trying to make. Correct. Because we get new people that join this show, I, I want to make sure that every now and then we reset some things, okay? And that, that maybe certain terms or phrases that you're not accustomed to hearing... In like non-explicitly religious programming. And, and so you're not accustomed to hearing such phrases and terms used when just analyzing everyday news. But we use them like every day. And I want to make sure that you understand. We don't do so for effect, as Todd likes to put it, rhetorical flourish. Not that we don't do those things ever. I mean, it's an entertainment venue. At times, we do do those things. But we are soberly using terms like cult, demonic, satanic. We are using terms like that. Clear-eyed, sober-minded. Not for effect. Not to... Uh, Provoke needlessly, not to illustrate absurdity by being absurd. It's our baseline science, like gravity is. Correct. It is our fundamentals. Correct. It, we are using those terms for the same reason. If you walked out and it was overcast and you heard the rumble of thunder and lightning, you would say, it looks like a rainy day. You would just be observing the naturally occurring phenomenon around you and correctly deducing, therefore, the meaning of such phenomenon, what it, what it heralds, what, it, what is coming as a result of what you are observing, what it means. And, and you see this in the, in the top three items in Aaron's montage today. <clears throat> the White House is saying that it would rather deplete 
our nation's strategic reserves of petro rather than return to the previous rates of domestic production we had under its predecessor that made us energy independent for the first time in many of our lifetimes. How many things could we point out to debunk their climate cult? Millions. But when you're dealing with cults, objective truth doesn't matter. Their brains are turned off to it. Their foolish hearts are darkened. If not hardened. They cannot receive it. They have been given over to their own depraved minds. Objective truth is their enemy. They will seek to either ignore it. And if that doesn't work, then they will actively attempt to censor and shun it. Because nothing, nothing stands in the way of their narrative. Three weeks from yesterday, we are going to have an election. The people in power are going to lose it badly. They have been in power for the last couple of years. They could have made decisions that would have insulated them to some degree, if not completely, from what is about to occur here. They chose to do none of those things. Nothing. They, they chose nothing. In fact, they honestly told you some of its highest ranked officials went on camera over the last two years and said, now's a great time with 485% inflation. Now's a great time to go out and buy a $60,000 electric car. While the guy who's the most successful EV salesman on planet Earth, Elon Musk, has been clamoring for more oil drilling. There is, there, there was no data. They're acting like, now you're hearing them say things like, well, Democrats, they peaked too early. They never peaked. There was never a peak. It has been looking like this for uh, the entire, entirety of this calendar year. There has never been a question that they weren't going to lose this election on its current trajectory. The only question was, how bad would the loss be? Would it be just the House? Would it be the House and the Senate? Would we see states like Nevada and Arizona go from blue to red? There was never any question they were going to lose under the current trajectory. They were just lying to themselves. I don't know what else to tell you. They, they did register voter polling well into September and October, as opposed to likely voter polling. And now all of a sudden that they've all decided, okay, it's two weeks to the election. Let's maybe try to get to some modicum of truth. You know, we're seeing these wide swings where Gretchen Whitmer was up 15 points in their polling two weeks ago, and now it's five. Okay. Because that's how cults behave. I don't want to know the truth. The truth is my enemy. I am an enemy of truth. I have sacrificed my own individual identity and integrity for the group think. And then in the end, when your cult doesn't deliver, you end up having two options. You either accept that you are shattered and seek out a worldview or institution that will help put yourself back together again, or you just hail bop it. 
figuratively or literally. Cold harder. That's it. That's how it ends. You see this as well when it comes to abortion. The Biden White House saying yesterday in two different venues to the DNC and then their own spokeswoman said this to the press yesterday. That if they had the votes, their number one priority would be codifying the mass murder of children. That would be their number one priority. Codifying the mass murder of children. Well, Steve, they're just they're just saying that because they're trying to dangle that carrot to their voters. As if that's reassuring somehow. Let's assume you're right, by the way, if you're saying that to me, as some of you have. Let's assume you're right about that. What does it say then about their own voters or their potential voters? That in the midst of economic implosion, national security breaches and crime waves. They would overlook their own economic prosperity and personal safety because killing their children matters more to them than that. I'll tell you what it says. Demonic, satanic, cult. Those three words I started this little monologue with. That's what it is. The Democratic Party is not a political party. It is one in name only. It is a demonic construct. Call it what it is. It's a demonic construct. One of its recent champions said in a debate last night, another video that Aaron played at the beginning of his montage, that killing children we need to do for the boosting of the economy. Remember when we were kids and when Steve Forbes ran for president the first time? And like his answer to every issue was the flat tax. Do you remember that? Sure. And people kind of snickered and stuff at that. That's what they're doing with baby killing. It's the answer to everything. Mm -hmm. You know why? Because to a nihilistic demonic construct, death is the answer to everything. Depopulation is the answer to everything. Why? Because these are doctrines of demons and hell hates you. It seethes at your existence. It gets off orgasmically at our destruction. It hates the fact that we were made in the image of God. It hates the fact that it was cast out and we were created to take its place. It hates that. It hates you. The first manifestation of sin after Genesis 3, what was it? After the fall, what was it? The murder of Cain, Cain's murder of his brother Abel. That's not a coincidence. There the is no wages of sin are death. Thank you. Yeah, what you earn. Yes. There is no greater way to express your level of seething and hatred for another created being 
than to take its life without reason. Out of anger, resentment. That's why everything they want to do kills people. Open the prisons, kills more people. Open the borders, kills more people. Codify mass murder of children, kills more people. Jabs for everyone. Jabs for everyone, kills more people. Everything. Everything kills more people. Everything does. Climate stuff kills more people. It all does. It's not a coincidence. Because it all comes from below. And if you're voting Democrat, that's what you're voting for. Now, I ain't here to pimp for the Republicans, and I don't give a shit what you think about them. But you got to own your poop. You're voting for a demonic construct. You're not compassionate. You're not tolerant. You're not kind. You're anything but. You're voting for dudes teabagging their hairy sacks on children at public libraries and public schools. You're voting for that. That's what you're for. You're for it. Don't, don't lie to yourself or anybody else. I voted for this group for some other talking point or reason. You know, I ran over somebody drunk driving in my vehicle, but I was listening to a really inspirational radio program, uh, and so they let me get away with it. Is that what happened? No, they held me accountable for my action. My affirmative action, pun intended, my affirmative action was I ran over somebody. So therefore, regardless of what I was listening to, regardless of what I thought my intentions were, the fact that I ran over somebody as a drunk driver makes me guilty of vehicular manslaughter, if not homicide, correct? Yes. Yes. If you vote for this, this entity, you are on the hook for this, period. You're affirming it. You can get mad at me all you want. One you should know that has literally like no effect on me at all. I don't care. Like, I'm not like some of the other people in this industry maybe you've run into in the past. If anything, I have to stop myself from provoking you needlessly because I get off on it. I get off on that. That's where my ego is satiated. Cattle prodding you. I got to make sure that I don't do it for my own benefit and not for the not for sola de gloria, but for my own edification. That's my temptation. So you can save all that. I don't care. But if you don't like that truth, it doesn't make it any less true. And it's the fault of the people that you have voted for. It's a death cult. It's a demonic construct. They just say it out loud. They don't even try to hide it. And I don't care what your, what your mama or papa told you Democrats were in the 70s. I don't care. That's what you're voting for, and you need to know that. So since I don't care what you think of me, and I don't care whether we're friends, and we ain't partners, we ain't brothers, and we ain't friends, Eddie Murphy, okay? Like the great prophet Nick Nolte once said in 48 Hours. I'm going to tell you the truth because I don't care what you think of me. If you are a part of this, if you vote for this, you are aiding and abetting a demonic construct, a satanically influenced entity, and a death cult. I just want to make sure we're very clear on that 
because it's very clear in telling us this. It is very clear in telling us this. Every time it's asked, they tell us this. What am I embellishing? What, what am well, I embellishing here? Specifically, this is the point Pelosi's making. She lies all the time, but what that clip is one of the most truthful things any politician has said recently. She's talking about how successful the last two years have been, more successful in two years than most are in four, certainly compared to Republicans. Stop success about being weighed and measured by your values. Think about hers. She's she's being absolutely honest. This is what they wanted. This has been amazingly successful. And yes, it's all hurting you. That's the point. As Steve said, you're the enemy. They have destroyed because it's been intentional. The lie has always been the point. They want this. Look at that smile on her face. She loves this, even if it comes to this an electoral loss. Because as I've been saying recently, then here comes this red wave of Republicans, and what will they do, and what will they say? If it's the same thing they said in before, the victory comes all the more the next time, because they gaslight everything, and they call you the worst names. She was the most honest she's ever been right there. That was a religious experience for her. These last two years of everything, that old a bag of bones has been waiting her whole life for. Mm -hmm. She doesn't feel she's at the end. This is her religious culmination. Once y'all watch the movie Nefarious, I believe it's going to change the way you see clips like what you're just talking about and, and Stacey Abrams. It's going to change the way you see that. You will no longer be shocked. Instead, I believe... You will see that as nefarious, literally speaking, demons, literally speaking, through the mouths of their useful idiots. Because that's all that is. That's just the doctrines of demons every single day. Stop being shocked by it. Stop being shocked by it. Doesn't mean it shouldn't prick our conscience, because we actually have consciences. But understand understand what we're up against this is not just stupid haha these guys are so dumb they didn't focus group uh you know uh, abort more babies kill more babies murder more babies to save the economy they didn't focus group that haha that's so dumb that's so funny haha they're so stupid evil no this is demonism right in our faces amen that's exactly what it is that is ex that is exactly what it is and, and I, I understand that we have a tendency to look at these two major parties simultaneously because of their um, duopolistic relationship, their symbiotic relationship, which is why I don't use language like this lightly because I certainly don't want to be, you know, a shill for a political party on the other side that just hates me for different reasons, but... They've passed the point of no return now that the Republican, your views on them as a party in relationship to this analysis are really irrelevant. They have to be acknowledged for what they are. Demonic. All right, we're going to stick around and do bonus buy, seller hold for subscribers over on the overtime for the rest of you. We'll see you tomorrow. Until then. John 317. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network. 
Uh, it seems like on a month-to-month basis, inflation has peaked. Do you agree? Well, I don't agree at all. And first of all, uh, what zero represents is Joe Biden's understanding of the U.S. economy because he has no clue what's going on. You can't brag about the fact that we had one lone month where high prices didn't get any higher. It's not like they went down. They just didn't go up. But if people were struggling with high prices, their struggle didn't get any easier. What would have been good is if prices could have come down, but they didn't come down. And in fact, the only reason that the headline number didn't go up was because we finally got some relief at the pump. Gas prices came down. A lot of other prices, food prices keep going up, rents keep going up. In fact, you mentioned the core, which doesn't include energy, was up 0.3 on the month. So if you annualize that, multiply it by 12, that's still a pretty decent sized number. Yes, it's not quite as huge as the numbers we've been getting, but there's always going to be an ebb and flow in these numbers. I mean, how many times last year did all these analysts, including people in the government, claim that we had peak inflation? I mean, I got sick and tired of hearing peak inflation back in 2021. I had to keep saying we're nowhere near the peak. And the same thing applies today. Yes, we may have hit a temporary peak. Maybe it'll take a few more months before we see a year-over-year increase that's higher than the 9.1 that we got in June. But there's no doubt in my mind that we will get a higher number than 9.1. We are nowhere near done with this inflation problem. It is going to be here for years and years and years, probably the remainder of this decade, and probably then some. And you know, so just looking at one-off month where you know we didn't get a big rise and having this premature victory dance. I think is an insult to the American public. Peter, I just want to point out the fact that in no prior recession over the last 70 years has inflation risen during a recession. This time is going to be different. Yes, well, as they keep telling us, this is a very unique recession. In fact, okay. most people don't even want to admit that we have one. Okay. But, you know, look at the recessions of the 1970s. You had rising prices there, you know, during stagflation, and that's what my forecast is. Remember last year, I was predicting the U.S. economy would be in recession in the first half of 2022, and very few people had that right. But I also predicted that inflation wasn't transitory, that it would get stronger as the economy got weaker, and that is exactly what happened. Now, the reason that I believe that inflation is going to kick into a higher gear as this recession that we are in gets worse is because I believe Powell is going to pivot ultimately and he is gonna give up his fight against inflation in order to fight a different foe, and that is gonna be a recession and rising unemployment and potentially a financial crisis, either one that has already happened or one that is rapidly approaching. And so I think Powell is going to choose what he believes to be the lesser of the two evils, and I think he's gonna pick fighting recession and propping up financial markets and monetizing government debt so the treasury doesn't have to default i think the fed is going to pick that over inflation and so unlike the pivot that we got with volcker back in 1982 where volcker pivoted after a victory in his fight against inflation powell is going to pivot despite defeat inflation is going to win And so when we go back to 0% interest rates or whatever we do, and when we go to QE5, which is gonna be launched, I don't think the Fed is gonna shrink its balance sheet 
very much. It's going to yeah. shrink it less than it did last time it tried to do it, which is an impossible task given the bubble that it's, it's inflated. I think when the Fed goes back to stimulus and creating inflation, when inflation is maybe double or triple or quadruple that 2% target, the markets are going to react very differently than how they reacted in the past. Because in the past, the Fed was able to justify all this cheap money because they said, we don't have enough inflation. We're still below target. Well, when they go back to the stimulus, when inflation is triple or more their target, the markets aren't going to buy it. And so I think all the inflation that they are going to have to uh, create in order to stimulate the economy out of this recession is going to ignite a powder keg. We already have an inflation problem and Powell's going to pour all this gasoline on it. And so we're going to see inflation moving up to a much higher level, even though it's already very high. In fact, it's probably double what the government claims in the CPI. If you want to know what's actually happening to prices, you've got to double what the government tells you. And that's more accurate. Now, the Fed's looking at the overall unemployment number, and they're probably thinking, OK, we don't have to fight unemployment right now because it's at an all time low. Right. Is that an accurate statement to make? Well, Is that an accurate reading of the number? It's a new record. The number of people working two full-time jobs is now at an all-time record high. And why are people having to hold down two full-time jobs? Because one isn't enough. That is the problem. This labor market is so weak, workers are being forced to accept huge pay cuts, which is what they're doing. They're getting small increases in their wages, but it's being more than offset by enormous increase in the cost of goods. The cost of living is going up much more than their meager pay raises. And so what a lot of Americans are now forced to do is take another job. And many people that have uh, one part-time job now have two or three because they can't pay the bills with a single job or even two jobs. So this doesn't happen in a strong labor market. In a strong labor market, workers get real wages, raises. They're able to get their boss to increase their pay by more than the increase in the cost of living. But in a weak labor market, workers are forced to work for lower wages, and that is, in fact, what is actually happening. And meanwhile, labor force participation last month fell to 62.1. That is the low for the year. And in fact, over the last four months, even though we've created all these jobs, the number of people in the workforce has gone down. And so that means that all the jobs that were created over the last four months were people who already had a job getting another job. So so even though we've recovered the jobs that we lost prior to the pandemic, it's only because the same people have multiple jobs. We haven't recovered the workers. We still have a lot of workers that were working prior to the pandemic that haven't rejoined the labor force. You said that there's no trade-off between inflation and economic growth. Real economic growth increases supply, holding prices down. The problem is that our economy hasn't had real growth thanks to the Fed. It experienced an artificial bubble. To fight inflation, that bubble must be popped. The Fed's talking about a soft landing, which is a trade-off between economic growth and inflation. That's not possible? Well, I don't care how the politicians want to redefine it. It is what it is. And so, you know, okay. I'm not going to change the meaning of a word uh, just to deny that we're not in something that, that we're in. Uh, but my, the point of that tweet is you have all these Keynesians uh, that somehow believe that inflation is caused by economic growth. They also think it's caused by too many people working. They think there's a trade-off between unemployment and inflation. They think if there's not enough people unemployed, you're going to have more inflation. And the way to get rid of inflation is to put people out of work. All of this is Keynesian nonsense. Inflation is not caused by the private sector. It's not caused by growth. It's not caused by people working. 
The only people working that cause inflation are the people at the Fed who, who are running the printing presses or pushing all the buttons that are creating all the money. That's where inflation comes from. And they create inflation in order to monetize U.S. government debt. So the federal government runs a big budget deficit. The Federal Reserve prints up money to buy those bonds and that inflation enters the economy. It's got nothing to do uh, with growth or people working. As a matter of fact, in a real economy, the stronger the growth, the lower prices. Because yeah. what is economic growth? It means increased output. It means more goods and services are being produced. Well, if you increase the supply of something, then you decrease the price. So a productive economy that's producing more stuff means that the price of that stuff is lower. The same thing with people working. If more people are employed productively, their productive output is increasing the supply of goods and services, keeping the prices down. If you slow down real economic growth, if you force people out of work, you're gonna have less supply. We're not gonna make as much stuff. We're not gonna be offering as many services. And so therefore the prices of those goods and services all else being equal are going to go up. Well, hello, y'all. P- pleasure to be with you. I'm Dennis Prager. I've done about 40 interviews in the last couple of weeks for my book that just came out this week, The Rational Bible, third volume. If you end up with the five volumes, which I pray you do, because it means that I re- wrote them. <laughs> Each each book is such a challenge. You'll really have a beautiful collection, physically, and I believe morally, intellectually, religiously. It's so obvious that the, the dilemma of this country is that it's a post-Judeo-Christian era in which we live. Secularism ultimately crushes everything. It produces leftism, which crushes everything. It's just, it's, you don't have to be a believer. You know, I'm not pushing any one religion. So you can't accuse me of that. I'm pushing what reason dictates. The society will not survive the death of one of its members, if you will, of the, the American Trinity. E pluribus unum, liberty, and God we trust. Everything is dependent upon the God part. There are, there are atheists and agnostics who acknowledge that. You don't have to be religious to understand this. And there are people who claim to be religious who don't understand this. People don't want to confront the obvious. How many, how many kids in college have ever heard that secular regimes butchered 100 million people? They never heard that phrase, correct? Never heard it. It's brand new to them. Oh, religion. People can learn more in the name of God and religion. The ignorance that passes for truth is the, is the chief characteristic of, of leftism, because truth is not a left-wing value. If you don't teach that secular regimes are the barbarians and butchers of humanity, you're a liar. You lie by omission. Not every secular regime does that, but every regime that did it was secular. The only massacres by, by, in religion in the 20th century, 100 million people butchered, non-combatants, 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 was the, uh, the, the Ottoman Empire crushing the Armenians. I don't know, I don't know, is it, I don't know the number. I should look that up. 
It's a million, two million, I don't remember the number. And who accounts for the other 98 million secular regimes? And yet the left, more power, 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 more power to the government, more power to the government. You can't have a powerful government and liberty. You can't. It, it's one or the other. Uh, these basic understandings of life that are not transmitted. Hey, did you see the artwork? That's uh, Did you see, would you send me the, the uh, what was it, a, a sculpture that doesn't exist and it's sold for $18,000? Look it up. $18,000, a a guy, I think an Italian, he sculpted, it just happened. That's why I'm bringing it to your attention. He sculpted a a non-existent sculpture. It's, It's like the piece of music where the guy sits at the piano for four minutes and I think 23 seconds. It's called 423 and does nothing, and then the audience applauds. Applauds. By the way, if you ever feel that you're lacking because you don't play piano, you can say you've done, I think it was John Cage, I'll check that too, you played John Cage's 423. You did nothing for 4 minutes and 23 seconds, but you sat by a piano. So when I looked up the sculpture that it doesn't exist and sold for $18,000. I also saw a link to another piece that sold for a million dollars from the 1950s. 433, 433 thank you. I, I always get that. Uh, my, my memory is not my chief selling point. Just a bit outside. Was it outside or inside? I think it was inside. 433. That's what you play. So from the 50s, there was this link to a an artwork that also doesn't exist, but there's a signed paper by the artist with regard to that artwork, and that's sold for a million dollars. You know, we work very hard for a million dollars, and why, why didn't we come up with a gimmick? Maybe my maybe my the sixth volume. That's what I'll do. I'll do five volumes of the rational commentary: Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and then I'll do a sixth volume called the Book of Sean. Yeah, he likes it, and nothing will be there. And see how how many buyers I get. I like that. Just think, think of it, my friends. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the book of Sean. Wow. You know, I, I, uh, yes, he'll autograph. Well, he'll, he'll, that's right. You'll, you'll, with an invisible autograph and with an invisible link. The whole, the whole thing. If there is a truer statement than the following about anything in life, I don't know what it would be. When people stop believing in God, they don't believe in nothing, they believe in anything. I don't know of a truer statement about life. Okay, welcome indeed to the Dennis Prager Show. Let's see, next week I will be in what Orlando, Philadelphia... 
Cleveland, I believe. I got to look up the cities with my colleagues on the battleground tour before the elections. You should come out if if they're not sold out already. You should you should check with the uh, the local Salem station that you heareth me oneth. That should be a lot of fun and invigorating. Well, my friends, I want to bring to your attention one of the great truth-tellers of our time, Heather MacDonald, the marijuana myth. Mm -hmm. With the midterms bearing down and the post-George Floyd crime wave still underway, President Biden and his fellow Democrats face a dilemma. Continue hammering the theme that law enforcement is racist or position themselves as guardians of law and order. Innate inclination won out again last week. Biden announced that he was pardoning all individuals who have ever been federally convicted of marijuana possession. His reason for doing so, Biden said, was to, quote, right the racial wrongs that the criminal justice system has allegedly perpetrated. Quote, while white, while white and black and brown people use marijuana at similar rates, black and brown people are arrested, prosecuted, and convicted at disproportionately higher rates. This claim, equal marijuana use, unequal criminal justice treatment, has been a cornerstone of the left's war on cops for decades. It is routinely trotted out as Exhibit A in the left's narrative about racist policing. Predictably, the New York Times, which is to the, uh, to the left what Pravda was to the Communist Party in the Soviet Union, its official spokesperson or spokesjournal, New York Times regurgitated the equal use claim in its coverage of the Biden marijuana pardons. Quote from the New York Times, while studies show black and white people use marijuana at similar rates, a black person is more than three times as likely to be arrested for possession than a white person, according to a report from the ACLU that analyzed marijuana arrest data from 2010 to 2018. First, let me just say this, not being an expert in this arena, black use of marijuana versus white use of marijuana. My assumption is that if it's an ACLU study, it's a lie. Just, I need you to know that in advance. It may not be, but if I had to bet on it, and I'm not a betting man, I would bet it's a lie. The significance of the equal use claim extends beyond the war on cops, however. It is part of a larger narrative that denies both the existence of significant racial difference in culture and behavior and the role played by those differences in explaining socioeconomic disparities. It is worth assessing the equal use claim against the data, therefore, since a worldview hangs upon it. She not only, she writes beautifully. I mean, she she is as clear as I hope to be, and many of you think I am. So when we return, is it true that blacks are disproportionately arrested just for marijuana use? All right, y'all. Reading to you, Heather McDonald. The claim that 
blacks are, what is what is the ACLU report? More than three times as likely to be arrested for possession of marijuana than whites. So listen to this from Heather McDonald in The American Mind. Historically, marijuana use and culture has been more embedded in black communities than in white. As 20th century, by the way, she's one of the few writers, like me, who doesn't capitalize black or white. Another, another left-wing evil. Like, like black is more than a color. What is black? If you're from Jamaica, if you're from Togo, if you're from South Africa, uh, if, if you're from New York City and you're black, what do you have in common? So, is it an ethnicity? Is it a nationality? Is it a language? Why is it capitalized? Historically, marijuana use and culture has been more embedded in black communities than in white as 20th century Chronicles of Urban Black Life by Claude Brown, Richard Wright, W.E.B. Du Bois, and others make clear. That disparity continues today, despite the flower power revolution that created generations of grateful dead potheads. Blacks comprise one-third of all treatment admissions nationally for marijuana use, uh, excuse me, she writes abuse, for marijuana abuse, though they represent only about 13% of the nation's population. Among cannabis users, blacks have a nearly 70% higher rate of cannabis dependence than whites. So either Heather McDonald's figures are lies, or the ACLU figures are lies, and the New York Times is lying. I love to bring to you clarity. Okay? You have to, you have to choose. Someone's lying. The Democratic Party and the New York Times, its spokesman or Heather McDonald and the studies that she cites. Can't get clearer than that, can you? Are blacks, are, are, are 70, are, if blacks are one-third of all treatment admissions for marijuana abuse, so is that racist? That's way, way disproportionate to the numbers in the population of blacks. A 2016 study by Washington, D.C.'s Department of Health found there were 38 times more blacks than whites in treatment for marijuana disorder. 38 times. So the ACLU lies to you about this. The New York Times lies to you. And there's a reason. Truth is not a left-wing value. I know that as I know my mother's and father's names. I have certitude about left not valuing truth because I've studied the left my whole life. They don't value truth. Lenin's naming the Communist Party newspaper of the Soviet Union Pravda, which means truth. There is left-wing truth, which has no relationship to truth. Like the 51 heads of national intelligence agencies who signed a statement that the Hunter Biden laptop was Russian disinformation a few weeks before the 2020 election. They lied. They all lied. Every head of these intelligence agencies lied. I mean pure, undiluted lie. 
because electing a Democrat was more important than truth. There's always for the left-winger a greater value, whether it's climate change avoidance or electing a Democrat. Truth is not a left-wing value. Again, who's telling the truth? I'm curious, leftists listening to this show, whom do you believe? Interesting, isn't it? You believe the ACLU and the New York Times? Or do you believe the uh, Washington, D.C. Department of Health that found that uh, blacks, 38 times more blacks than whites, were in treatment for marijuana disorder? Hmm? The rate of marijuana use in D.C. was 62% higher for blacks than for whites. As for drug use generally, from 2017 to 2019, the rate of treatment admissions for substance abuse disorder was nearly 58% higher for blacks than for whites. Hmm? That's not just D.C. It's drug use generally. Even if marijuana use and abuse were spread equally among black and white populations, possessing a small amount of marijuana lands no one in federal or state prison absent more significant criminal activity as even radical prison abolitionists are increasingly willing to admit. Marijuana possession convictions are usually the result of plea bargaining down from more serious charges, whether drug trafficking or other felonies. In 2013, over 91% of federal marijuana possession convictions came from arrests made at the border. The median quantity of marijuana possessed by those border offenders was over 48 pounds. Would you arrest someone with 48 pounds of marijuana? I would. I will continue. I'm getting ready to go. I'm living for the night time. I love people think about the society and how we got to where we are. That's been my life's intellectual endeavor. And apparently the same is true of my guest, Stella Morabito. She's a senior contributor to The Federalist, one of the great websites. She has a book out, The Weaponization of Loneliness. Listen to this. This is interesting. The Weaponization of Loneliness. How Tyrants Stoke Our Fear of Isolation to Silence, Divide, and Conquer. Just for the title alone, one should get the book. Stella Morabito, welcome to The Dennis Prager Show. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. When did the book come out? Just yesterday it was released. So That's a, um, that's a riot. Mine was released Tuesday. Yours was released Wednesday. <laughs> there you go. I, I don't know. Great books. Um, you know, I, I know on Deuteronomy, it looks fascinating. I haven't had a chance yet, but I'm looking well, forward um, to it. Well, look, I'm flattered that you even know that it exists. Most people don't know how to say Deuteronomy. You said oh, it very, yeah. very fluently. <laughs> well, wow. <laughs> anyway, let, let's talk about this. The, so if I understand you correctly, and I have every intention of reading the book, and I don't say that to every author. Uh, oh, I, in fact, I already ordered it. <laughs> so, oh, wonderful. So, yeah. Uh, so the, the, the title means 
that if you don't join our mob, I looked at Mm -hmm. your table of contents. If you don't join our mob, you will be isolated. And so we use your, the natural human fear of being alone and lonely to get you to join the mob. Is that, is that a correct analysis of what you're saying? In many ways, yes. Um, when, when I came up with this you know, idea, I wrote the book because I felt that there were so many destructive agendas going on all at the same time bombarding us. And I was looking for a common denominator, a common thread that ties them all together, and that is isolation. Uh, when you think about it, I think everybody needs to recognize that as human beings, we're social animals. And, and what that means uh, is that on the one hand, we have a very primal need to connect with other people. And the flip side of that is we have a very primal fear of being isolated, of being ostracized or social, you know, socially rejected. And so, yes, that does lead people to join mobs in different forms. Obviously, mobs necessarily always street mobs, but just kind of a mob mindset. And uh, and so this uh, this uh, what I call the machine works into what I call the machinery of loneliness. And and uh, you'll have bad actors who take that uh, exploit that very natural human need to connect, uh, coupled with the fear of being isolated, and and that can be exploited to produce automatically, in so many cases, the conformity impulse. And through that conformity impulse, that, that desire not to be, you know, rejected or, or isolated, uh, people will sign on uh, against their better judgment to all kinds of destructive, even evil policies and agendas. And, you know, I mean, we see this through history. Wow. So what prompted you to come up with this thesis? Is it the left in America? Well, you know, I have a, another, you know, another thesis theory that there are really two camps, pro-thought and anti-thought. That's just kind of the way I put it. Yes. I think the, the anti-thought contingent, if you, if you will, or the left or, you know, just this kind of mob uh, mentality that that creates all of these destructive agendas uh, that, as a matter of fact, also serve to isolate us. I mean, you think about what's happening in education and medicine and all of our institutions. The agendas themselves have a tendency to isolate us. All right, hold it there. I want to remind everybody, Stella, about your book. It's up at DennisPrager.com. And it is the weaponization of loneliness. We will return momentarily. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free, every single day, become a member of PragerTopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the daily show prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com.